1: And hello once again, everybody. It's another episode of THN on the Cube, brought to you by BetMGM. As usual, it's me, Will McLaren. It's he, Jamie Tozer. And uh, there's probably more news to discuss this week than there will be for as long as we ever do this podcast, wow. Jamie. Wow. Uh, this Old is statement. yeah. It's eh, I'd say. I mean, uh, if, if if something bigger. I almost want to say if something bigger comes up than this, I almost don't want to know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's concerning, because right? It could be monumentally yeah. good, but it could be monumentally bad. And, um, you know, speaking of whether this is going to be all good or all bad, that that's something else that still has to come out in the wash on this thing. And of course we are talking about what everybody in the junior hockey world has been talking about and beyond for the past, I you don't know, 24 to 36 hours, we're recording on a Monday night for a change, by the way, uh, for those wondering. And that is, of course, the resignation of Gilles corto which was announced on Sunday afternoon rather suddenly. Of course, we uh, all know and had reported on it here as well on THN The Q that uh, uh, Corteau was planning on stepping down full time at the end of this season. They're well into the hiring process. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, Jamie, a rumor has it that uh, they, uh, the uh, ideal candidate may have already been found, um, and which may have, you know, led to some of what's happened, uh, mm-hmm. amongst other things, uh, some of the, some of the uh, machinations behind uh, Mr. Corto offering his resignation. Uh, there is a lot surrounding this story, and uh, Jamie, uh, let's go through a bit of a Cole's notes here on on not only the points of that, but also your take on it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was obviously like a lot of people shocked that this, it felt like it came out of nowhere and it's been kind of a weird few weeks for the league because it's been this, these allegations of uh, hazing and abuse that have faced the league um, has really been a a Quebec media story and it hasn't really filtered into the other parts uh, of the league here in the Maritimes. Um, so it's been kind of a weird, uh, weird story, but this has been a massive, massive uh, deal in Quebec um, uh, getting lots of media coverage. It's been getting lots of political coverage. Um, and I kind of get the impression from speaking with some of the Quebec folks that um, I don't know if it's felt inevitable that Corcho is going to have to resign, but it felt like it was kind of leaning in that direction. Um, but still just the, the timing of it just is is so surprising and it seems so sudden, you know, and this, this literally came out while games were being played. Um, so, which kind of leads me to believe that this was an extremely uh, sudden decision.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, uh, talking with uh, a few of my, uh, I'd say colleagues, I mean, I, I am, and I guess I should probably put this out there as well. I mean, I'm, I I do work uh, independently, but I do work with the Quebec league as a freelance writer for them, um, talking to um, uh, some people uh, uh, closely uh, involved with uh, the league. Nobody was expecting this. And in fact, that uh, sentiment was echoed uh, on the uh, social media of uh, more than one prominent Quebec broadcaster, Michel lancet for example, uh, said uh, basically the same thing. Nobody was expecting Jules uh, Courtois to come out on, on a Sunday afternoon and uh, announce his resignation. But as you mentioned, Jamie, you know, there's, there's been, um, uh, there's been a lot of activity taking place and, uh, admittedly a lot of activity that has not made the public eye. And I'm not just talking about the hazing, obviously, um, that was kept under uh, cloak and dagger for decades, but, uh, uh the, um, the groundswell that has uh, led to, uh, Um, this resignation has been not well covered in the English media. I I even count us amongst that, you know, keeping in the spirit of full disclosure, you know, Jamie, you and I have actually talked about this uh, off camera. Like, when do we come in with our opinion on this? When do we come in uh, to report this? And at the end of the day, um, it was a situation, and and maybe this is a a result of uh, the, the league media as it pertains to the Maritimes, being a little bit disconnected from the media in Quebec, um, although there's a connection there, it's not it's not always the strongest of connections, and we just weren't getting a lot of news. In fact, I always I got in the, the impression, Jamie, and you can uh, I know what your thoughts are, but I got the impression that when um, Mr. Coteau was testifying before the legislature and when this was reaching political levels in the province of Quebec, it was kind of downplayed. It was was felt that it was almost going to go away. uh, Jill Corteur was not going to be asked to testify again. Sure enough, uh, the premier, François Legault, premier of Quebec, uh, his commission members were not going to request further testimony. It was only when the opposition kicked in uh, with their opinion that they felt that not only did they want a second testimony, but uh, they felt that uh, Mr. Corteur uh, may have committed perjury. Which you know completely throws this into a different stratosphere. And yeah. uh, of course, these are just based on on uh, what we know and what's being reported in the Quebec media. But up until really Sunday afternoon, this wasn't a story that was predominant in the English media, despite the fact that the the uh, complainant that uh, has been that has been named from the QMJHL is actually a maritime Stephen Quirke
0: yeah and i I completely agree with everything you're saying and I think I think that's half of it I think the other half though and I think this is the the real awful part of this is that these stories they've just become so normalized in the news that um, a story like this like it's hard to know like is this actually a big deal like is this something we should be talking about or is this a story that's already been covered is there's just so many of these stories um it's right. they're honestly hard to keep track of and it it's it's awful to say but um, you know, that we've like, they're just, they're normalized now. Yeah. Um, and like that, that just goes to show you like the changes that need to be made, um, not just in hockey, but in the sports in general.
1: Definitely. Definitely. It doesn't, you know, when you say that and it's something that really didn't spring to my mind until right now, uh, Jamie, doesn't this have a bit of a tinge or, or a feel of the 2018 world junior story whereby yep. it was big news. And then it just kind of went away, and it's and it's and has not been in the spotlight for several months. Um, you know, talking to somebody who um, he, he's local to the area here and here in Halifax. Um, uh, I wouldn't say he, he, I, at best he has his finger vaguely on the pulse uh, through connections with Hockey Canada. And uh, that person's uh, comment was, "I'm kind of surprised that this has not been brought up again." And that, that it's been, that it's been such, not, not as newsworthy at this point as what people expected it to be. And, and quite frankly, you know, like you say, uh, Jamie, I think this happened right here. Um, it, it wasn't until, uh, as uh, came out yesterday that, uh, things really hit. Um, now, uh, of course, just to remind people sort of the sequence of events here, um, Corto announced, uh, earlier this season that he was going to retire at the end of this year Uh, on a full-time basis. uh, The hiring process began after Christmas. Um, It was to end in, in around May, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Mr. Cotto was going to stay on board for at least the first half of 2023, 2024, just to, to uh, work kind of in a guidance slash mentorship role for whomever was, uh, taking over as the new commissioner of the QMJHL. Of course, all of that has gone out the window. On Sunday uh, morning, um, there was a conversation of some sort between uh, Joel Corteau and Richard Létourneau, who is the QMJHL chairman of the board of governors. And it was at that point that the decision was made by Joel Corteau, citing, um, citing that it is uh, that what's taken place is. Uh, uh, affected his family, amongst other things, and uh, saying that, uh, to quote his words, it was time to pe- pass the torch. Uh, he uh, announced through press release that uh, that uh, this was taking place. And like I say, this did catch everybody from the media to his um, cohorts at the, the league level to, you know, everybody. Everybody in the ind- individual teams, uh, with the exception perhaps of the governors. Um, it caught everybody... Uh, by surprise, but um, and and also for information's sake, uh, the deputy commissioner of the league uh, up until yesterday, uh, Martin Lavallee, he is now the acting commissioner, the interim commissioner until uh, the new person is hired. And uh, I know you mentioned on your Station Nation blog, uh, uh, Jamie, that uh, it seems based on rumors coming out of Quebec that that new person may be close to being hired.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you kind of have to wonder if this played a little bit of a role in, in Corteau choosing to to resign the way he did just because but by the sounds of it, and this is according to Kevin Dubé from uh, Le Journal de Québec, it sounds like um, the hiring process for the commissioner was essentially almost finalized last week. It sounds like the owners um, gave their thumbs up to uh, uh, Mario Sacchini whose name uh, I may be pronouncing incorrectly, um, who is the interim president of the Montreal Alouettes. So it looks like he will be the next commissioner of the league. That's not been confirmed yet, but it looks like it's heading in that direction. Um, But you do have to kind of wonder if Corteau, um kind of opted to say, to step away uh, at this time, just knowing that um, his successor was essentially found.
1: Yeah. It, it, the timing seems to be uh, um, too good. And at the end of the day, would the league, you know, for, for all that's happened and whatever... Uh, implications Gilles Cortot may have that, that ties him to uh, these scandals. I mean, we at best could only speculate on that. But at the end of the day, the league does need that uh, somebody at, at the top um, as the commissioner. Um, and, you know, the closer that the league got to the end of the hiring process, obviously. The more beneficial it would have been, or or the more uh, opportunistic, I should say, it would have been, for uh, Gilles Courteau to to resign. And you, you figure, I mean, you're talking about a guy that, again, for better or worse. And I mean, and I'd like for us to get into our uh, you know thoughts on on Mr. Courteau, um here uh, sooner rather than later. But you know, the guy was at the helm of the league for 37 years. He worked for the league or its member teams in one capacity or another for 47 years. Um, A guy who's put that much time and effort into the league, again, you know, better or worse, um, is not the sort of guy you would think that would leave the league high and dry. You know, we can speculate on, on everything, but, you know, although the announcement was very abrupt, which of course leads to, you know, another whole facet of questions of if he's a if if he's stepping down on a sunday afternoon um while the hiring process is in is still in play and he was planning on on retiring anyway you know what's going to be the next shoe to drop we don't know and 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 it would only be rampant speculation on our part but yeah definitely uh for for whatever characteristics gil courteau uh, had for the role and will be remembered at the end of the day. He's not going to leave the league hanging. And, and I really think that the timing of this was key um, in, in knowing that that, su- that successor was uh, um, virtually picked. Um, but, you know, uh, the league moves on. Um, it's going to be awkward. Um, mm-hmm. Quite frankly, it's, uh, it's not pleasant. Uh, the way Gilles Courteau leaves the league is um, far from ideal, obviously. And, you know, we, and I, I honestly don't know if any of us will uh, outside of those who are maybe in the highest circles of the league will ever be able to properly form an opinion of Gilles Courteau just based on what we will be left knowing about all that took place, uh, in, in, in all facets of his leadership. But Jamie, if you can try and maybe touch upon, you know, your thoughts, you know, your thoughts on Jill Corto, your thoughts on everything that's happened in the last day or so, and, and what do you think this is going to leave in terms of, of a legacy for uh, the commissioner?
0: Well, <clears throat> I think it definitely complicates it now. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we you can go back and listen to our episode um, when Corto announced his retirement. You know, he's done so much in terms of building the league into what it is today. Um, but I think you bring up the key point here is, you know, we know this story, but what else is there out there? And I think we, I think everyone's just kind of cautiously looking at his legacy right now because um, we don't know what else could be out there and, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also. This isn't really important in the grand scheme of things, but you know, the league literally renamed its playoffs and championship trophy after um, mm-hmm. Gilles Quarteau. So I mean, what yeah. happens there? Um, right. I, there's, there's a lot of complicated things here now. Um, mm-hmm. And then on top of it, I, I assume um, he will not be mentoring this new commissioner um, over the course of the next year. I assume um, he's done with the league. Is, is is my impression from his statement and the league statement? Um, which also creates some questions over how the league's going to handle that or a guy who's coming in, um, as far as I know, doesn't have a hockey background, does have a bit of a sports background um, has certainly mm-hmm. been a, a business leader in Quebec for a long time, but isn't heavy, isn't a heavy uh, sports business guy. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's some, some very complicated things ahead for the league now um, that I'm sure they didn't really anticipate. Um, so this will be, this is going to be fascinating to, to follow. And on top of that, now you have kind of this drama between the league and the provincial government go Quebec mm-hmm. on top of that. See if again. Yes, again. again. And there's speculation about um, more rules for the coming um, to put further ban on fighting. Um, right. there's speculation on that. And one of the things I haven't seen mentioned anywhere in the media um, about all this story is... I, I do think the provincial government Quebec has a little bit of power on the league that they didn't have um, in previous years because of all the money that the league got for COVID uh, mm-hmm. provincial government gave the league $12 million, $1 million per Quebec team. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're not just going to give the league that money. say go have fun with it. They're going to keep a really close eye on the league. And I, I'm not really, I think if I was uh a politician in a lot of these people's shoes, I'd probably be asking a lot of the same questions. I wouldn't want um, uh, my constituents thinking that we gave a league that's um, doing this type of conduct um, public money.
1: Now, those are all very valid points, Jamie. And, uh, you know, just to to add on that, that's a very good point. And there is a bit of a checkered history between the Quebec government and the Quebec League. And uh, not just, I mean, the million dollar you know um uh, assistance program that's not so much checkered as it is you know what you know obviously you know what are the uh, uh, legislative uh, assembly members thinking of 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 that um that choice now i will say this in regards to to that specific thing um i really hope that there is some consideration of the fact that at the end of the day, this league is supposed to be for the players. Um, that money was how it was, hopefully, and you know maybe this is something we don't know. Maybe it's something we find out. But uh, you know, hopefully, that le- that that money was used to the best of the teams' abilities to mm-hmm. improve or to to enhance the uh, lifestyle, and the capabilities under very strenuous circumstances of the players. And if that's what actually happened, if I'm if if I'm a member of, of Quebec's parliament uh, or National Assembly, I should say, if I'm a member of their government, I'm less concerned with it because it went to the right people for the right reasons. Yeah. But, you know, we're only 15 years removed from the uh, um, Minister of Sport essentially rewriting the Quebec Quebec League's rulebook after the incident between um, Jonathan Waugh and... Uh, and the excuse me, which was uh, essentially a ban of anything that was deemed to be gratuitous violence. Um, It, it, it ended basically ended the stage fight. Uh, It ended goalie fights. It ended anything that was just, just it ended a lot of the stupid stuff, I guess would be the best way to put it Um, and put a very, very tight lid on it. And that was a back and forth between the league and the government as well. So, I mean, there's precedence here in, in how the two uh, work with one another. And it'd be very interesting to see what happens here, because obviously this is not over. Um, you know, it's, it's fine that, that Gilles Corteau has stepped down, but you, you generally don't get out of the woods just by stepping down and say, okay, I give up. No, you have to give more. And in the case of Mr. Corteau, that could be give, continuing to give testimony if the members of the opposition really push the issue. Um, and you know, for me, on a I guess on a somewhat personal level, Uh, It hits a little bit different for me because, largely because of, and I think out of all of this that's taken place, and I really think we cannot lose sight over the fact that this is about uh, teenagers who were put in an unsafe position. And, you know, Jamie, you and I, you know, we, I know I can't speak for you, but myself, I mean, I didn't play sports at a high competitive level. You know, I enjoyed, you know, I haven't had a, admittedly, like I haven't had a pair of skates on in 20 years. I played a bit of baseball. I played a bit of basketball. Uh, I, you know, farted around on an outdoor rink and played ball hockey and stuff like that. But, you know, we were all kids at one point. We all went to, and my the way that I look at it is, you know, I remember what going to gym class like was like as a high school kid. And, you know, um, there's, there's some people that could just be just, just ruin your life, basically, and that's essentially what was happening in in these dressing rooms, some of them at the very least. And you know, I can say this much: going to Moncton High School, Moncton High in Moncton, New Brunswick, there was always a gym teacher that was close. There was always somebody that come could come in and intercept and really keep things from escalating. And it wasn't happening at, at a very high level of the game. And the one guy who comes out and has the courage to have his name put out there is a guy that I watched,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, Steve Quirk. Uh, Stephen Quirk played for the Moncton Wildcats, okay, played for the Moncton Alpines before that, and he's from North Sydney, uh, Nova Scotia. There's only one degree of separation between myself and Stephen Cork, whom I, uh, or two degrees, I should say. I don't know him personally, but I know people who know him and think highly of him. And to know that this was taking place while you know you know, 16, 17-year-old me was in the stands watching him. And I loved watching Stephen Quirk play because he was the sort of guy that you, you like to cheer for. He was kind of the underdog. He was a gritty guy, a uh, bit of a fighter. And, um, you know, he wasn't going to score any 20 goals a year, but he was going to stick up for his teammates. And to know that he was sticking up for the same teammates that were humiliating him and, you know, causing him psychological distress. That's, that's the biggest shame out of all of this. And I really hope that when all this happens, no matter what happens to Gilles Courteau, no matter, no matter what happens between the league and the government and all the other people who are trying to get in and have their say and try and rewrite the rule book, that's all great. But at the end of the day, if the people who are most in charge of this league going forward and the people who are advising on the league going forward do not give proper credence to the people who suffered the most on this, it's not worth a damn. It's not worth a damn because the damage, that damage has already been done. It needs, it can't be rectified fully. But you know, at the very least, stand up for them. It's going forward. I'd like to think that this is going to be the shot in the arm that the league needs to get themselves, get their house in order. But don't forget the people who were crushed by that house. That is going to be, and you know, you talk about a million dollar bailout per team, start a fund for the psychological trauma and the mental health um, uh, issues and counseling and everything that comes with that, that some of these former players are going to need, whether they admit to it or not, if they know that it's there and they can maybe go to it anonymously, I think that would be a great step in the right direction. And yeah, for me, it does hit a little more personally because this involves specifically a player that I lo- that I love to watch. But you know what? It could have been anybody. At the end of the day, don't forget these people. Like going forward is great. You can't forget your past in a situation like this.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more if you will. Um, and I've, I've already kind of seen like <sighs> it's complicated I because Corto did a lot of good for the league. Like, there's no mm-hmm. questioning, there's no question Absolute. about that. But at the same time, you know, it's hard to go about praising him when, you know, there are people like Quirk, and I'm sure there are others who have essentially mm-hmm. had their lives ruined. Yeah. Maybe yeah. not necessarily ruined, but significantly impacted, negatively impacted uh, by stuff that happened in the league. And it's hard to, it's really hard to go about and just, you know, carry on as if that didn't happen. And I think we need to do whatever we can to ensure that never happens again.
1: Yeah, no, well said. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I will, I will say that, you know, I mean, no, and a lot of people don't want to hear this right now, uh, that, you know, Gilles Corto was good for the league in a lot of respects. And to those people, all I can say is I wish I was as virtuous as you. And, uh, but you know what? Um, Hey, I'm, I'm not the most virtuous person either. So I guess, uh, you know what? I, I guess I'll cast some. I guess I have no problem keeping some stones in my pocket as well. And you know, we we I talked about the story the last time we uh, we touched upon this uh, uh, story when Jill Corto was stepping down or was planning on stepping down at the end of the year. It's the story of the Beauport Harfang. They were sold for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars and uh, to Patrick Juan the Tangays. And well, uh, we've heard some rumors about what the Halifax Moose had sold for just uh, a couple months ago here, about a month ago or so it was eight figures and it was well into the eight figures. That's uh, or allegedly was into, into the eight figures. So, you know what? Uh, and it, it's it, a lot of that, uh, a lot of that uh, comes down to Gilles Courteau and, and, and the vision that he had. I mean, Jamie, let's be honest. If it's not for Gilles Courtauld leading the charge about, 30 years ago, you and I are not sitting here or it's likely you and I are not sitting here having this pod or hosting this podcast and discussing this league because who knows, you know, I'd like to think in time it would have made its way into the Maritimes, but how soon would it have happened? How far behind the eight ball would they be now compared to uh, how quickly it, it, everything fell into place back in the nineties when the time was absolutely critical and the league was not in a good place and they need to look somewhere else. There's a lot of people around that boardroom, I'm willing, more than willing to bet, uh, based out of Quebec. And this is not to get too political, but if anybody of a certain uh, era remembers, the Halifax Mooses were founded uh, less than two years before a referendum was held over whether or not Quebec was going to separate from the rest of Canada. That's the atmosphere in which hockey, Quebec League hockey in the Maritimes was founded. And it took somebody with a lot of conviction to actually go for it at that point. And Joel Courtois was the guy who inevitably had the final say, yes or no, to make it happen. So you know what? Um, like I say, and I'm not going to, like, I don't think we should, I, I don't, I won't apologize for um, saying some of the positives that Jill Courtois reign uh, as commissioner um, brought to this league. You can't you 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 absolutely can't avoid the negative and you shouldn't. But at the same time, you know what? We're talking about this league, and this is such big news because of what Jill Corto has created over the last 37 years.
0: Yeah, and I was thinking about this um, just this week, watching uh, Angelo Fullerton with the K Bratton Eagles, quispam sis mm-hmm. guy, and the amount of quiz sis players that are coming into the league right now. That's and that's not it's not a coincidence that these guys are coming to the league now as the Sea dogs are approaching 20 years in the league, that's not a coincidence. Like Mm -hmm. the, that pipeline's coming up because that team exists. Um, But now we're starting to see players um, look at other options. And you you have to wonder when these news stories come out, like like, these, these have to have an impact on some of these players. When they look at what's going on, not necessarily happening right now, but when they look at what's even gone on in the past, Um, you know, how can you sell, um, this league when stuff like that's happened in the past um, and even though it's obviously a different place now, we can all agree on that um, mm-hmm. it's still not a perfect place and you know what what safeguards do they have in place to ensure that stuff doesn't happen now? Yeah. I think those are valid questions.
1: Yeah and, and I think in a way, um, you know we've you know we touched on it here earlier in this conversation but uh, uh, you know Jamie, you, you mentioned the name uh, Mario Chichini and, and again, I also apologize if we're saying this wrong. Sound by the sounds, but we're going to know how to pronounce it sooner rather than later. But uh, uh, for Mr. Ciccini, you know, you mentioned, of course, he's, you know, less sports driven and more business driven. My opinion, that is probably the perfect person to put in this uh, scenario. Um, I think um, we need to get away from these sports oriented heads of leagues. and, you know, it's a much smaller scale, but for a number of years, I was the comms director for uh, the Maritime Junior League, the Junior A League here in, uh, in the Maritime Provinces. And uh, one of our former presidents, who is ironically now a, a he's a provincial politician, uh, is a guy by the name of Dave Ritzy. And Dave, for my money, was one of the very best presidents that league has ever had because he had business connections. He was sports oriented. He was a coach for a long time. He, had, he actually, he was an assistant coach with uh, Cape Breton, their first year in the league, but he was every bit as much a business person. And as it so turned out a politician as well, as he was a sports guy. And he helped take that league in, in a much healthier direction, a better direction. And he, and he really, he, he, he gave it a new perspective that, uh, that sometimes gets lost. So if Mario Cicchini is the guy, you know what I will, you know, without knowing too much about him, but just knowing uh, what his his background is, I think that's very praiseworthy, and I think it's the kind of different perspective that the league is going to need. And it's and you know who's to say that that's not what you know saves the league from um, from what's already a, a horrendous scandal into. Um, a situation where they can they can maybe make amends a little bit quicker and and do the right thing going forward in in a swifter fashion
0: yeah and i mean a couple weeks ago if this had come out about a new commissioner i mean we've probably been talking about you know what does this mean for tv what does this mean for ad revenue but now i think we're (laughs) kind of talking about what does this mean for like the culture of the league as a whole and i i i completely agree i think it And this isn't just the Q problem. I think this is just a a hockey wide problem, even an entirely sport wide problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need we need some outsiders to come in and help clean up um, what's gone on in the past. I think there's there's really no question now that it's there's really no other option but to bring in some some outside people uh, with new perspectives and new ideas, uh, new ideals uh, to help kind of clean up this mess and, and point everything in the right direction.
1: No, uh, definitely, Jamie, and uh, I think I think we're very much in alignment in terms of uh, opinions on uh, on what we would like to see in the future. And you know what, I, I I think it's very safe to say that we're not alone. And you know, it just remains to be seen how many people uh, with the with the greatest amounts of influence uh, feel the same way. And I I really hope, and I don't just say it because it's your opinion. and my opinion, um, I I sincerely hope that that there's more people like that. And, you know, quite frankly, there are, I know a few people in the league office and, and I know that their, their opinion is uh, to, to make the league a better place and, and hopefully, yep. and hopefully they have the right people working with them uh, to do yep. just that. So uh, uh, as of right now, though, the league itself is, is staying relatively quiet on the issue. Uh, they had a league issued press release uh, acknowledging uh, Gilles Courtois' resignation, um, nothing further has really come out in terms of uh, um, in terms of confirmed news either from the league or from any media outlet. Obviously, there is the rumor, of course, of Marie uh, um Eric Chini, uh, coming out of uh, the Journal de Quebec. Uh, about him uh, perhaps succeeding Mr. Koto, But uh, you can be assured that uh, as the story develops and as, as the news comes out, we'll be uh, commenting on it, giving our two cents. And uh, of course, we want to hear from you as well. I mean, this is a serious topic. You know, this is uh, not uh, always the easiest thing to talk about, but I think you know it, it's also something that demands an open dialogue. If you have an opinion, if you have a question, if you want to join the conversation that we're having here and that you're listening to, send us a note. Uh, go on Twitter. I'm at Will Mcrider. Jamie's at at Station underscore Nation. Like the, the best thing that we can do in these situations is talk about it and give those opinions. Um, you know, uh, within the bounds of, of of taste and you know what and 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 whatnot. But uh, by all means, we're wel- we're welcome to uh, any other commentary that anybody out there. May want to share we will definitely share it uh, with uh, the wider world um but uh and it's and it's hard to transition from well, from such a serious story into something that's a little less serious but none but still monumental in its own right and uh, the nice part about this is it's totally uh, self-contained here um We're going to talk about our old buddy Jamie here, uh, who, uh, by the way, very well said everything so far in this episode. Couldn't agree more. But you know what? Jamie's not just an astute um, student of uh, junior hockey. He is a rampant viewer of the game. And on Friday night, Jamie was in Regina, Saskatchewan, watching Connor Bedard's uh, Regina Pats upset the uh, top ranked Winnipeg Ice and with that became to our well, the only person I know that's for darn sure member of the sixty for sixty club he is the only he is one of the very very few you can imagine to have seen a game in all sixty CHL ranks. So first of all, big congrats man. I know that that, ta- that you. takes that takes a lot. Like I mean I I have to roll myself out of the house to go 20 minutes down the road to the scotiabank center some nights so for you to, oh, that's hard
0: to, that's right i won't knock that that's it's not an easy building to get to
1: it's a cold and it's been cold this winter
0: yep. leave me alone
1: <laughs> and it snowed
0: <laughs> so
1: tell us a little bit okay first of all it took you a long time to get to Regina. let's get that out of the way yeah like you had like was it like snow in august or something or something uh, that yep. uh, prevented you from going last time this- uh, this yeah, was a tractor accident. I forget. Tell <laughs> us a little more. <laughs> this was
0: attempt number three to get to uh, Regina Pat's uh, home game, home game in quotations, because uh, I did see the Regina Pat's play a home game, uh, but it was outdoors. So I was originally going to go to that game indoors, but it got moved outdoors. That was in 20. 20 <laughs> this, could,
1: this could so only I happen go. to you. by It exactly. <laughs> was in
0: 2019, I think. yes it was
1: yeah i think it was this yeah it was for like the part of the centennial of yeah yeah, of something centennial Um, of the pats actually if i'm not mistaken
0: yeah Yeah. so that happened um and then yeah this was i was supposed to go to a game in i think it was october this past october Mm -hmm. um and they're playing moose jaw on a sunday afternoon and uh they're calling for bad weather so i was actually in moose jaw on saturday decided to go to Regina after the game on Saturday night to ensure that I could get to this game uh, in Regina on Sunday afternoon they who they're playing Moose Jaw. And then mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, Moose Jaw didn't follow me to Regina. Um, and then <laughs> he they, they couldn't make it. They couldn't make it to the game on uh, Sunday afternoon, even though it's like a 45 minute drive. Um, so, yeah. So this was all if only if, to, if yeah.
1: only we all had the dedication of Jamie Tozer when it came to <laughs> going from junior rink to junior rink. We'd never have canceled games yeah. again.
0: Yeah. So this was all supposed <laughs> to end. Uh, this was supposed to end with the Bedard game uh, in December, seeing him mm-hmm. play uh, in Kamloops, right. uh, but then had to go back to Regina. So finally, he finished it uh, on Friday night. Uh, it actually worked out because it was a phenomenal game. Yeah. Uh, didn't even really realize it was on uh, it was on TSN and everything.
1: It was. Uh, Yes.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Excellent game.
1: Yeah. I ended up, uh, I was on Friday night. I was uh, I started my evening actually at a lacrosse game, a Halifax Thunderbirds game, which was also very good, by the way, they lost to the Buffalo bandits uh, 10, uh, 11, 10, I believe, but it was still probably the best game of the season. And then I went home and watched a period and a half of one of the best junior games I've seen in a while. And, you know, uh, our, our friend, Mr. Bedard, of course, who's the, you know, the, uh, you know, the adopted son of Halifax, I suppose, yes. at this point. Four goals and assists uh, just, you know, put the team on his back as uh, I believe, uh, Did the Pats not rally from 3-0 down to win that yep. game?
0: They were uh, down 3-0, and then they won. They came back again on Saturday and won that game again. Mm-hmm. Um, here's an absurd stat, which isn't related to a Q podcast in any way, but here you go. Uh, okay. Regina has 31 wins this season. 15 of them have been comeback wins
1: as unbelievable. That
0: is like, that's insane. I don't think I've ever seen a, a, a stat like that in junior. Would you want to face a
1: team in the playoffs? And I know getting into the, uh, WHL playoffs is far more difficult than it is in the queue, obviously. But would you want to face a team like that in the playoffs? That would, you know, if I, if I was, you know, if I was a player and I knew that about the opposition, I would, I admit, maybe this is why it's a good thing I was never a player. I'd be a little bit unnerved.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking about that during the game. How you know we talk all the time about elite goaltenders on average teams, how they can Mm -hmm. um, you know carry a team through a playoff win. Um, I'm really, really curious to see what um, Bedard can do in the playoffs because I I honestly I would be terrified playing him because he he could almost will will the team to win by himself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're going to do a quick uh, wrap up on this before we go into the team profile. And there's a there's a, uh, a a connecting conversation to this that I want to get into next week. So if you're listening, uh, stay tuned for next week. There is something here that I think it could be. It's, it's the sort of thing that I I could see there being varied opinions on it. Uh, and I have a very hard line on it, and you're going to hear it next week, so stay tuned, but but, uh, uh, let's just tee that up as well. But uh, just maybe a quick hit here uh, going forward. So, of course, the game that completed it was in Regina on Friday night. What was your first junior game that you ever saw?
0: First junior game I ever saw, uh, it was the 1st Seahawks game. Very first one ever. Very first game, September eighteenth, two 16th, 20, 2005. 2005. Yep. First uh, regular season st- game. Yeah. Against the St. John's Fog Devils. John's doubles. Fog Douglas, yes. yes. Rest in peace.
1: First time I... You know, rest in, <laughs> light candle. Um, first time I ever saw them, by the way, was 10 days later at the Moncton Coliseum. They lost 6-5. They lost 55 times that year, but who's counting? They also have two Memorial Cups since then, so I'll just shut up now. They made, made up. For it. <laughs> they made up for it. Yes, they did. Uh, best rank.
0: I'm not going to reveal my best rink because I'm doing rankings this summer, but I'll give you a handful in no specific order. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ruin Aranda, Kitchener, Sudbury, and Portland.
1: I love the Stuffed Wolf in Portland. And in Sudbury, the, uh, Sudbury yeah. sorry. Oh, in Portland, we were just raving over a, over a, a, a shot from that rink here just the other day. So yeah, pretty good pretty good list. So somebody who has not been to any of those rinks, good choice. And I've heard great things about the Odd and Kitchener as well. Yeah.
0: Um, you want to get into worst barns? Uh, everyone knows the worst one. You don't even have to um, go there. Everyone knows it's Charlottetown. It's, a common <laughs> no- it's common knowledge. It's common knowledge. I don't think yeah. anyone. I don't even think Charlottetown would put out much of an argument. The only no. thing I'll say though is the Islanders. Um, they do everything they can to put on a good show uh, yeah. they do, If they were in, if they were in, a, if they were in a great junior building, they would have one of the best uh, game day experiences um, in junior hockey.
1: I love the fact that they brought back the old horn from the MV Abbey way, by the way, great touch. But yeah, the fact that you get a stamp, get a stamp to go to the concession stand, that's a little odd. Yep. I'll, I'll give you And ironically a building that I have been to is your pick for worse. So there we go. Uh, any uh, strangest sights? Is there anything that you could uh, uh, quickly uh, touch upon there?
0: Well, it's a little—it's a little recent, but um, the Sea Dogs game in Boisbriand last year. Um, the game ended with about five minutes left, and they couldn't resume play because a piece of glass broke. Um, and they tried to install a piece of plywood instead of uh, finding another piece of glass. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they had the referee like pushing on it and everything, trying to like prove that this was going to work instead of a piece of glass. Um, but uh, obviously amazing. So we yeah. wasted about 15 minutes uh, dealing with that. That's amazing. I think they should have just played.
1: I'd love to see a puck ricochet off a piece of plywood Be amazing. First of all, it would wake you up <laughs> and yeah. second of all, it's just like, how do you play that bounce? The weirdest goals ever, yeah. I'm sure. All right, perfect. So congrats again, Jamie, and we're going to uh, have a little spin-off conversation regarding this next week. Stay tuned for that, but for now, let's go to the NHL team profile, and this week, it's a team that doesn't have a lot of Actually, none in terms of current QMJHL contributions, but boy, oh boy, do they have some at the NHL level, and we're talking about your defending Stanley Cup champions, the Colorado Avalanche. Um, it's kind of an asterisk beside the drafted players in the QMJHL because there are none currently, but there is one with QMJHL ties um, in the OHL, and that's Ivan Jengalov, uh, who played last year for Sherbrooke. He's a Belarusian national he was dropped from the Sherbrooke roster um, and ended up being picked up by Kingston. He made his way over to the front next. So a little interesting uh, piece there, but a solid contributor to that uh, top top flight Sherbrooke team last year.
0: Yeah. And the seventh overall pick too, in the 2021 yeah. import draft. So uh, I, I think it's fair to say he didn't really live up to expectations, uh, mm-hmm. but had a pretty decent season still. Um, but I'm, I'm sure the, Unfortunately, the Belarusian factor, I'm sure, played a little bit of a, a role into that.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's always hard with European goaltenders, anyway. You know, there's um, so, sort of like with defensemen as well, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, feeling out period can sometimes be a little bit longer. But uh, in any event, um, you know, Ivan doing, uh, doing his, uh, applying his trade over in the O this year. But, you know, shout out to him as well over in the AHL. Colorado Eagles, and I might as well just let you take this one over, uh, uh, Jamie, because there's two very visible names in there that you will uh, remember very well.
0: Yeah, Spencer Smallman, former Cedo's captain, uh, coming off a Calder Cup championship last year with the uh, Chicago Wolves, moved over to the mm-hmm. Avs organization this year. 14 points in 45 games, so not not too shabby uh, mm-hmm. this year for uh, a two way forward. Um, and then a guy who's been had a really interesting pro career, Cedric Pire um is bounced around quite a bit uh, between the ECHL and the AHL. A guy who's a, maybe a little bit too good for the ECHL and um, you know, able to put up some points in the AHL, but maybe struggles a little bit to find some consistency. Um also has, has seemed to struggle just getting a home is really bounced around uh, quite a bit the past couple of years. But uh, probably be remembered most for uh being Alexis Lafreniere's line mate um that's yes. his, his last last season of junior. Uh, put up some ridiculous numbers.
1: And three President Cup champions on that Colorado Eagles team. Of course, Spallman and Perrette won in 2017 with the uh, Sea Dogs, And Alex Bocas, who scored the President Cup winning goal in the bubble environment for Victoriaville in 2021. Jordan Martell will quickly touch upon uh, as a right winger with the Utah Grizzlies. He was in Bakelom for four seasons. And then, of course, in the NHL, Nathan McKinnon, the guy who you, Jamie, have uh, has mentioned as probably the most skilled player you've ever seen come through the queue in your time uh, following the league. And uh, Sammy Girard, uh, the uh, undersized defenseman uh, for Shewinigan, who has really carved out an impressive career for himself as well. Um, We're going to quickly float over as well to the 2023 draft prospect of the week. And we're going to go to Shikudomi this time. We're going to talk about a defenseman who I think is one of the more intriguing prospects in the league this year, uh, Petrus Bulans, the Latvian defenseman who has not had an easy go of it in his first uh, tour through the league. But when he's in the lineup, he certainly made the most of it.
0: Yeah, this has been a really intriguing season. Uh, missed a lot of the year, uh, November until the the end of November till almost the end of February with an injury. So I missed the World Juniors too. Um, haven't seen a whole lot of them this year, but like you said, Will, he's put up really good numbers for a 17 mm-hmm. year old defenseman, 14 points in just 22 games. That's excellent. Um, and you know, she a pretty good team, but certainly not a, you know, a Halifax or a Sherbrooke level team. So those are uh really good numbers. Um, and we're starting to see some pretty quality guys come out of Latvia here in recent years too. And you now Ravis Anson's is certainly one of them last year with, uh, with St. Mm-hmm. John. So, uh, Seems to be a bit of a, an up and coming uh, junior, junior program right now. I'm curious to see uh, what we see in the uh, import draft this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Another one, too, uh, Nick Finenko as well, yeah. who played for the Latvians, a top pick in the import draft uh, for Bay as well. So, um, you know, and, and Bulans, you know, as a 17 year old, it's a young team in general And Chikudni. So to yeah. see him uh, find his way on a team that maybe lacks a little bit on, on veteran leadership has been very impressive in its own right. And with that, we are going to say goodbye. Uh, we know it's been a slightly longer episode than usual, and we thank you for uh, sticking around with us. It's obviously the news of the day has, has sort of prompted it to be as such. Um, and if you have any comments on that news or anything else that uh, you like to share, always remember our Twitter uh, DMs are open, our Twitter profiles are open. Send us a message at Will McRider, at Station Underscore Nation. We'd love to hear from you. But until next time, this is Will talking, speaking for Jamie. Thank you for watching another episode of THN on the Q, brought to you by BetMGM. We'll see you next week.